Welcome to the Chronically Aware. This podcast covers a variety of conditions, but it is not intended to diagnose or recommend treatment for anyone. For correct diagnosis and treatment, make sure you take your questions to a licensed medical professional. Please know that people can go through hardships with conditions, so be mindful that hearing about these hardships might be a trigger for you as you listen. And please remember that not everybody's chronic condition is the same. Many people experience conditions differently. Again, if you have any questions, please see your medical professional about your health. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome to this first complete episode outside of the introduction of um, Chronically Aware. So I am kicking off this podcast by sharing my story and how it is to be a person that lives with chronic illness. And for me, I have a rare immune deficiency disorder. So sharing a little bit about that and just sort of sharing my story. So the first thing I can really think that I want to share is I have this memory. um, My husband and I had been married just like a year, and we went to stay with some family that had rented a beach home uh, down in Galveston. And we were watching this documentary, or maybe the family was all off fishing or doing something, and I'd stayed behind and was watching this documentary, and it was on rare conditions. And I remember thinking to myself, I wonder what it would be like to be diagnosed and have something like this discovered. And little did I know that within the next decade, that would be the case for me, or a couple of decades. I guess that was about 15 to 17 years ago. So I got a new diagnosis a few weeks ago. And as I was preparing for this, I was thinking how I am not really ready to talk about it because I am just now beginning to face that information. And it reminds me of how getting some diagnosis is often a grief and loss process in itself, that at some point in life, most people are going to be diagnosed with some condition that will be chronic for them. And when we're faced with that, sometimes it has a period of denial or not really ready to talk about it or trying to sort of bargain of, is this really bad? Is this not so bad? Kind of just a bargaining part of it. And then some of the frustration of, okay, now I've, I've got this and I'm going to have to fight my way through it. And the grief of um, the sadness and the loss that comes with dealing with a new chronic condition and eventually the acceptance. And as Kubler-Ross talks about, um, the brilliant creator of that five stages of grief and loss. You know, one of the things with that is that it's not linear. So sometimes we may jump from denial to sadness and then back to bargaining and then some frustration in there and then some anger and then some acceptance. So it's not a linear process of how one begins to make peace with their diagnosis. And I was talking with a person in my profession a while back who said, you know, the 
next stage of grief and loss or one that was added on, which I need to go research this quite a bit more, is making meaning. And so taking the event that caused the grief and loss, taking the situation and learning to make meaning of it. So I would say in some ways, this podcast is a way of me making meaning of living as a vulnerable person with a rare immune deficiency that is a chronic condition. And I am not even really past the denial stage in where I'm at with the diagnostic process. So what I wanna say to people is it's okay wherever you are in beginning to come to terms with your own diagnosis or with a diagnosis in your family. So instead of starting with the most recent information, I'm going to start from the beginning. I grew up in Dallas. I was born in the mid-70s, and I thought I had a pretty normal childhood, but I was sick constantly. Uh, My mom told me I had ear infection after ear infection, sinus and upper respiratory infections. My childhood pediatrician described that I had the worst case of chickenpox he'd ever seen. I had some of the most severe illness he'd ever seen. There was one time when I got pneumonia that my mom was very afraid that I was going to pass away from it. And I also had a severe reaction to vaccines that was not normal as well. And so some of those, my pediatrician said, we're just going to have to take a break. We're going to have to stop these because of how severe this reaction was. And just as a side note, I am not in any way putting out there any vaccine debate. I don't want any part of my chronic illness or my condition to devolve into that debate. I'm just not interested in going there. So I'm just sharing that as a fact of what I went through, not as anything that I want to get into for debate purposes. I believe in vaccinations as important tools to combat severe illnesses in this world. And I think science has come a really long way with protecting people. And I am fully in support of the scientific process that protects people through vaccination. So I just want to stop any uh, anything that could devolve in that way. But as we go back, so I had a lot of really severe illness as a child. I would get off of antibiotics a few days later, get sick and get back on antibiotics. And so my mom just really fought for me to have the medical care that I needed, always taking me to the doctor and always keeping me on antibiotics when I would start to get pretty sick. And, you know, I think when people reflect on their lives, I am now um, in my late 40s. So I think in a life transition, people naturally begin to look back at their lives. And I have a lot of memories of severe illness that pop up when I reflect on my life. And it's not necessarily anything that my friends or family or people would have even realized was going on with me. But I have just some distinct memories, one in high school of this ear infection that I got, which might have become kind of invasive thinking back on it, but I was so dizzy, I could not even walk. I felt so sick, I could not even walk. And I do remember getting some antibiotics and that starting to clear up. When I was in college, I have a similar memory around the early 2000s. 
of having this coughing fit where I ended up outside just like struggling for breath, barely able to breathe and being really afraid that I was going to pass out and die from that and getting to the doctor as soon as I could and getting on antibiotics, getting the help that I needed. And so those memories are kind of a part of my history in ways that I don't, I'm not sure if those types of illness memories are a part of other people's histories, but they're definitely something when I reflect back on my life that are there. As a result of some of those severe illnesses that I coped with, I had a lot of fear of illness. And I think back to my college days and I think back to friendships in my 20s and I I think back to how I would ask my closest friends, oh my gosh, I'm getting sick. Am I going to die from this? I would be so scared that it would feel like it was going to kill me. And I, I remember kind of just internalizing, okay, I'm being a hypochondriac again. Hey, will anybody reassure me because I am super scared of this? And people were reassuring and kind and mostly tolerant. Um, but I don't think I really realized how at risk I was with every illness that I actually got. And so I think back to some of my providers that I've had in life. And I think of when I was doing my own counseling work, like the bulk of my own counseling work in my 20s, I did it with one particular counselor who is and was excellent. And I always hope if she stumbles across any of these podcasts that she always hears my appreciation for her work and how much I value her and that this does not diminish any of that. But I remember I'd been going to a primary care office for about six or seven months getting on antibiotic after antibiotic which is super common with immune deficiency. And I just could not get a sinus infection under control. And I was pretty constantly anxious about it. And I remember her saying, you know, I think you're looking for something that you're not going to find at the doctor. And so she worked with my doctor's office to get me on anxiety medication to see if that would help. And I hated the way that that medication made me feel. So I did not end up taking it and went back to her and just kept trying to work through it. Um, and I am, just as a side note on that one, I am pro-medication of whatever people need. And sometimes anxiety medication is super helpful and important for people. So it was just the way it reacted with my body chemistry. I am not against medication by any stretch. I want people to find what will work for them in this world. I think that looking back now, I just realized that my body was giving these alarm signals. I am sick. This could go in a bad direction. I'm not doing well. I need medical care. And my provider started just kind of making me feel like it was all in my head. And I internalized that. I just thought, okay, this is just me. I just have major anxiety. I'm trying to get the help I need, but it must be something else. So I tried reassuring myself. I learned the art of managing anxiety. I, I really learned how to turn the volume down on anxiety and override a lot of it. And in the long run, that was not very good for me because what I needed 
was medical care. So again, I don't blame any provider because I think that had they been dealing with somebody who didn't have a true immune deficiency disorder, maybe that would have been helpful. I am seeing that a lot these days, though, when I think of people that have true conditions that are concerned about continued impacts of COVID-19 and providers starting to push them to loosen precautions and take more risk. And as somebody who also um, is in that realm, my belief is that people need, clients need to be met where they are. Patients need to be met where they are. So if people are not ready to step outside of their precautions, then I think we as people need to meet them where they are and say, okay, your precautions are infection control. Let's help you navigate your life in the way that works best for you. And I think there's also a need for providers to really say, you know what, let's rule out some medical stuff that might be playing into what's going on with you. That was sort of how things went in my 20s, was just learning to override myself, right? And I got sick a lot. And so by the time I was 43 and I had two kids, and you know, when you've got two young kids, they're building up their immune systems. Everybody's getting sick all the time. Well, I had no immunity to anything I was encountering. So I was catching everything they caught. And my immune system was just catching that stuff. And so we were all getting really sick. And I kept thinking, okay, surely my immune system will will kick in at some point. And I just extra overrode a lot of what was going on with my body. And when my son was two and a half and my daughter was five, I ended up in the hospital with pneumonia that I did not realize I had. And it went into septic shock and I came very close to passing away. That event could be a podcast all on its own. Um, I won't really go into what septic shock was like entirely, though I do hope that this podcast can have some sepsis survivors, maybe even some septic shock survivors on as well. But it was a pretty harrowing event. And I kind of climbed my way back from that, which was not easy. Once you have survived septic shock, your body is forever changed in a whole lot of ways, or at least for most people. There may be some that that's not the case. And so I just wasn't getting well. I had another brief hospital stay after that, after Christmas of 2018. And at that hospital stay, I had a visitor who we ended up talking about how to kind of get through this situation. And I ended up, the conversation led to getting immune system testing. And so I asked the pulmonologist who is helping me recover if she had any helpful advice on getting immune system testing. And she said, yeah, let's do an immunoglobulin panel on you. Have your primary care run these numbers for IgG, IgM, and IgA. And let's see what we're working with and see if you might need some treatment along those lines. 
So I took that piece of paper that I wrote the notes on and went to my primary care physician and she said, yeah, let's do this. And so I took the test and when the results came back, my numbers were low. And so she said, okay, I think we need to get you to an immunologist and see what's going on with these numbers. And so that was the next step. I kind of meditated on who to go to and I found an excellent doctor. So the excellent doctor that I found looked at my initial labs and said, have you ever heard of common variable immune deficiency disorder? And by that point, I had already researched immune deficiency and was like, okay, is is that my diagnosis? And he said, I think so. We're going to need to do some more tests and run some more tests. So we started that process. And through that testing, I received that diagnosis. And within about a month, he had me begin immunoglobulin replacement therapy. So immunoglobulin replacement therapy is essentially when people go to donate plasma, they are donating IgG. And IgG, immunoglobulin G, again, is the biggest infection fighter in the body. That infection fighter helps so many people in this world. I was always curious about plasma donating when I was in college um, and definitely learned as a recipient more about it. So when people are donating plasma, they are donating their immune system to people with cancer, to children with cancer, to people with inherent immune deficiency disorders, to all different types of conditions. And so I think plasma donors are some of the true heroes of this world and so incredibly important in keeping people that are vulnerable here. So I'm incredibly grateful that that was discovered and I became a recipient of that. And I started doing really well, um, not to be too gross, but I, for the first time in my entire life experienced clear snot. All of my life, my snot had been green, which tells me all of my life I was carrying some bit of infection that my body was always trying to cope with. And I was sort of like, what is this? Like, is this how normal people live? It was really quite shocking to me to have my body change that much to more of what a normal person experiences, even with just blowing their nose. So that was sort of getting on treatment was really helpful. In that was in 2019 that that started. And then the pandemic hit in 2020. Right before the pandemic hit, my whole family had had the flu. I survived it. And I got a urinary tract infection and was on the wrong antibiotic. And within a few days, I ended up going septic again and having a urosepsis stay at the hospital for a few days. I was able to infuse while I was there. My immunologist increased my dose to help me fight infections better. And I got the antibiotics that I needed. And I did pretty well again until November of 2020 when I got strep when I tested positive for strep for the first time in my entire life. Um, 
I don't really have a good answer for why I never tested positive before. The best that I can guess is that my body just did not mount a regular normal response, antibody response to strep bacteria. So it just didn't produce the antibodies that then get tested to give a strep diagnosis. So I'm curious, did I always have strep? Did I not have strep because my body wouldn't recognize it? I don't know. So when I tested positive for strep for the very first time, my body went a little bit south and I ended up needing to stay in the hospital for a couple of days and get a shot of Receptin and antibiotics. That was as the alpha variant was hitting. So that was uh, November of 2020. And that was pretty unnerving. And so I came up with plans with my immunologist that if my body started going a little bit south, we would work on getting a shot of Receptin in me very quickly and having an infusion nurse come and help hang a bag of IV fluids for me. So to kind of do some of the hospital stabilization at home so that I could avoid a hospital stay. I have not been hospitalized, knock on all the wood, since that time. I have had to hang a bag of fluids at home. I have a home IV pole. And I have had to get some shots of Receptin. And at this point, I am on prophylactic antibiotics um, on a schedule in order to try to help me stay well and out of the hospital. So that's kind of where I've landed with treatment and where things are right now for me. And, you know, in that mix, I have also parented and worked We are very blessed that my family is able to work from home and we do virtual school at this time and we are part of a community that will mask up and meet up and do our best to keep each other safe and so my kids can play with other kids and we can have some socialization. So those are some of the ways that we have coped and functioned for the past few years. So I'm going to ask myself the question of, Um, what I need, what I want my providers to understand. Since this podcast, when I interview people, is really going to be asking people about their story and then also asking what they want providers and people in their life to understand. So at this point, I want to know that providers are going to cheer me on, that they're going to have hope for me, and that they're going to do all they can to keep me around as long as possible and even fight for me a bit. One of the biggest things that I wish providers knew as an immune deficient person is we are not drug seeking when we need antibiotics. I think that's one of the most frustrating things that people with immune deficiency deal with is it's like, We know that we're at risk of going septic because our bodies have a lot of secondary infections to viral infections because our bodies overgrow our own bacteria because we get strep really easily because we end up getting conditions, um, bacterial condition overgrowth that needs treatment. And I think one of the hardest things is when providers treat immune deficient people like they are antibiotic seeking when they don't need it. And so, you know, that would really be my wish for 
hospitalists and providers to understand about the immune deficient population is that the risk of going septic might be a little bit worse than the risk of side effects of ongoing antibiotics for our population. I feel a lot of relief being on prophylactic antibiotics at this point and working with my immunologist to have a good schedule for those that seems to be working really well. So that would be what I would most want providers to understand. What I would most want friends and family to understand is that I miss people. I miss the before times and I still want to connect. And sometimes the best way that's going to happen is through Zoom. Sometimes the best way that's going to happen is just by a text every now and then or just some kind of contact. I still want people to show up for my kids through Zoom birthday parties, through some type of interaction. I still want connection. It just has to be pretty cautious right now, and it's had to be for the past couple of years. So I think what I most want friends and family to know is that connection matters to me, and I'm not trying to flake on people or or not show up for things. It's just that we really have to protect our family during a pandemic and protect my health during this time. So that's where I will start with my story and my own answer to the questions that I want to ask others. I hope that this podcast provides a lot of supportive learning and education and a space to just sort of say what people with chronic illness need and what they wish for and what they want from their family, from their providers, from their friends. So I appreciate everyone who's listening and I hope you have an awesome day. In closing, I again want to remind people that this podcast was intended to educate about the wishes and needs of individuals that bravely shared their medical stories here today. This podcast was not intended to diagnose or recommend treatment for listeners. Know that each person experiences conditions in their own ways, and for any investigation, diagnosis, and or treatment recommendations, see a licensed medical healthcare provider in your area. And finally, this podcast is listener-supported. Please see the notes section for a link to PayPal and ways to give so that this podcast can grow and support even more people in having their voices heard. Thank you and have a beautiful day. Thank you.